Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This week, I'm sharing my conversation with Nirmi Firebrace. Nirmi is an award-winning photographer based out of Australia. She's also a writer, and she catapulted into the public eye when she was just a teenager because of the unique way that she shares her story through photos and words online. Nirmi runs a popular blog called Fire and Joy, where she shares both heartbreaking and beautiful stories of her life. And as a photographer, she shot for Netflix, American Apparel, the band First Aid Kit, and actress Zelda Williams. This episode actually originally aired in July of 2016, but we were originally scheduled to have this conversation months earlier. I was in Australia on the Sunshine Coast for a speaking gig, and Naomi and I had made plans for me to visit her home just an hour or so drive from where my gig was. We'd met once while speaking at another conference in the U.S., and I feel like we really quickly hit it off. And while I was actually still on my flight over to Australia, Naomi got word that her brother had died by suicide. We canceled plans to see each other so that she could be with her family for the funeral, and through Instagram and her blog, I watched as Naomi processed and grieved the loss of her brother very publicly. It was both heartbreaking, but also beautiful, the way that she let people into that. And I also watched as she shared that she didn't have many photos of her and her brother together, and she wished that she'd had more photos taken of the two of them. She couldn't turn back the clock, but she could help others who didn't have photos with their loved ones. So even in the midst of her grieving, she posted on Instagram that she wanted to shoot portraits of people and the people that they loved. And she did. I love the way that a part of her grieving process involved helping others. Niram and I had the opportunity to talk over the internet a few months later, and that's the episode that you're going to hear today. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Sounds Good is not your typical three steps to success podcast. We don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We deeply believe that our lives are more complex than that. And so we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, dive into nuance, and learn from each other's stories. This was such a great episode. So without any further ado, let's just jump straight into this. All right, I am on the line with my amazing friend near me. I'm so excited to have her on Sounds Good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. I'm pretty pretty excited. (laughs) I'm a bit nervous as well because I don't usually say yes to doing spoken interviews so hopefully I'm not too awkward no you sound amazing and I'm super honored to have you on the show um so you and I met uh how long what do you think like nine months ago um yeah something like that 
We were we met. It feels like a long time. I know it. It feels like we connected pretty instantly. Yeah. But you and I met in the mountains of North mm-hmm. Carolina. Um, we actually met with uh, Mira, who's been on the show before. So we met in North Carolina, but you live in Australia, and that's where you're calling mm-hmm. from today. And that's what makes our friendship even more fun and interesting is that we live on totally opposite sides of the world. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I think we pr- probably both have a lot of friendships like that, being travelers. Exactly. I think that was one of my first things that fascinated me about you was that you are you're a traveler. You're always just kind of on the go and maybe not even that you're always on the go. It's that uh, you have a heart that's ready to be on the go. You're ready to kind of pick up and have some adventures. And you've had a lot of adventures in your short number of years you've been alive. And I think that's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I definitely chase uh, new experiences. I feel like when I'm in one place for too long, I definitely feel ready for something new. I want to just like jump back and start um, kind of, early on in your story um, because when I see you, I see somebody who's just like an artist. You like at your purest form, you are an artist. Um, And I know that you started creating art as a child. And so I want to just start by asking you like what first compelled you to begin creating art, sharing art when you were just a little kid? Mm. I think for me, it's, I've always been creating from before I could even put my finger on when, you know, like since I can remember. But when I was growing up, I uh, had quite like a rough childhood. Um, My stepfather was abusive and I was sexually abused and physically abused. And um, I suppose uh, creating for me was like this escape from all of that. So mostly in the beginning it was writing. I would write and create these worlds where I could sort of escape, like fantasy worlds. And I found that was, like, really powerful for just, I don't know, finding some peace in days that were really chaotic and scary. And, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of like my safe place. Yeah. And so you started by writing. Were were you just writing in journals? Were you writing, uh, yeah, yeah. what what was the form that your writing was taking? Yeah, I mean, I've I've always kept journals, but I, I also wrote books. So chapter Mm. books, even like really young, like I remember being in grade three and every week the teacher would read uh, from a chapter book to the class. And I remember one day putting my hand up and asking the teacher if maybe next week I could read one of the chapters from my books. And after that, for the whole year, I used to read a chapter a week in my class. And I remember them just like, yeah, just sitting at the edge of their seats, just listening for every word. And it was like the best feeling for me. It was really, yeah, it was really special. That's incredible. Did you have like other people in your lives that modeled creativity or writing for you or was it just kind of a natural thing as a child or was there some like was there some inspiration behind that behind like that being your coping mechanism in a lot of ways? Uh, both of my parents are creatives. My dad doesn't and has never lived with us, so I knew of him from afar and sort of idolized him a little bit. But uh, I grew up in a town where there definitely wasn't many creators. I didn't have any real role models or anyone around me sort of writing or photographing or anything. I don't know. I feel like it was very innate and maybe just a, it was in my blood sort of thing, you know? Mm, yeah. And your dad, if I remember correctly, your dad is like a notable figure 
in the UK, is that right? Yeah, yeah, he's a yeah, he's an Aboriginal storyteller. He travels a lot with his what he does, yeah. And Vice named him the happiest man on earth, is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pretty um he's very unique, a very unique person. That's fascinating. So you've never lived with him. Have Mm-mm. you spent much time with cuz in a lot of ways you like I would describe you as as a hopeful, joyful person. <laughs> and I've never met your dad, but I've, I read that Vice article. Yeah. Um, and so I would, you know, again, maybe that's just something in your blood. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's almost, I mean, I'd spent a bit of time with him growing up. He'd like fly me out to a country and we'd spend time together. But mm. um, I think it's it, it almost is like that separation where, it's easier to sort of like idolize somebody and sort of like really look up to them if you're not constantly with them. I don't know. Something like that, that I just, I knew I wanted to be like him. His life seemed so exciting and yeah, I don't know. Like every time I spoke to him, I sort of really, his words really sunk in for me. He's just, every time I talk to him, he's full of a lot of wisdom and yeah, it's just Mm. constant with him. (laughs) You can't turn it off. Yeah. But your mom was the one that you, you kind of grew up with and, and were raised with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and tell me a little bit more about your childhood. I know you had like a rough childhood, mm. but something that you told me was that you were in a gang at one point. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. though that's like not a great situation at all, <laughs> it is like everybody's listening to the podcast. They're going to have to like go and see your face like brandonharvey.com <laughs> slash sounds good because yeah. you have like the cutest, sweetest face that I would oh. never imagine in a gang. Yeah. Um, you know, I beat some people up. <laughs> No, really, I did. Oh, no. <laughs> I kind of like, I kind of like were it. You? Maybe 12, 12. Yeah, 12, 12. Yeah, because 13 is when I picked up a camera. So, yeah, I was 12. And yeah, I don't know. I was just like the one white girl in this gang. And I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was a bit fun. <laughs> I grew up in quite like, oh my a, gosh. I don't know, like a troubled area. Our school had two policemen who were constantly there. And, oh, wow. And that's a, that's a big deal for Australia. Like, in the states, we have policemen at like most of our yeah, states. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not normal in Australia. It's definitely not normal. It's probably not a good sign. No. Okay. And so you were in a gang. You yeah. were writing and coping, and at some point, you made this transition into photography. You said that was at the age of thirteen. Joined yeah. the gang at twelve. Tell me yeah. about the jump into photography. Uh, my mom was making jewelry at the time and selling it online and she had just this little point and shoot camera that she was using to take photos and I remember one day just picking it up and snapping some photos of my little sister Pixie in our backyard and afterwards my mom was uploading the photos to her computer and she saw the photos I'd taken and she was like, Naomi, did you take these? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, these are amazing. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, you need to put these like up somewhere. And so I started just photographing kind of every day every single day I actually broke two of her cameras (laughs) shooting in like bad situations like in the rain and at the beach always worth it yeah yeah I mean not great but um it wasn't until I was um I think I was my 15th birthday that I got a real camera and for me that was like a massive deal because my mum you know she was a single mum with three kids and she didn't have like a proper job so she saved for a long time for that camera for me and I remember getting it and holding it in my hands and just crying and crying because like I just knew what that camera mm. meant for me it was like a life changer yeah I slept with that camera beside my pillow That's every beautiful. night I would imagine that it really meant a lot to your mom that that gift that she worked so hard to save up for and gave to you 
not only meant a lot to you then, but had a significant impact on you for years and years and years to come. Yeah, I think that would have been really special for her to be able to help me on my path so much and especially like seeing what ended up happening with that camera and the adventures it went on. Yeah. It was really special to both What do you think was the first big shoot you remember doing with that camera after you got it? Like what was, what was like the next step for you? We think. Uh, I remember, so the first paid job that I got with that camera when I was 15 was shooting for strippers, actually. No way. They didn't make it out like they were strippers. They sent me an email. Um, they'd seen my photographs online and they just said they were like a promotions agency or something. And they asked me to come in and take some photos of the girls. And when I came in as a 15-year-old, there was just all these women like in like lingerie parading around. And oh yeah, goodness. I mean, I shot all these I shot all these topless women on the beach and got paid for it. So Your cool. life is so weird. You have the most bizarre... <laughs> set of adventures that I've ever heard. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say like you should make a children's book out of all these adventures, but maybe leave that one out of it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot to leave out of it if I, if I make a children's book. Oh my gosh. Okay, and so what came next in your story? So I think uh, what was like really the big spark for me, well, first of all is when I left home at 16, so I quit school because um, actually I'll backtrack on that a little bit. When I was yeah. at school, I was very, I was super passionate about photography. Like I knew that this is what I want to do and I told everyone it and I didn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of support at school. In fact, like when I talked about photography, people like very obviously tuned out and would probably rather gossip about mm. people or talk about just about anything else. But um, I was really passionate about it and I remember being sent to the career counselor and the the lady sitting down with me and saying so what do you want to do and I said um photography like I want to travel the world as a photographer you know really enthusiastically and she was just like okay so these are the uni courses you need to do (laughs) and it was like not not long after that that I just quit school I was like that is not the way I want to I want to reach my dream so so I got started with photography maybe a few years after you I started shooting professionally when I was like 15 or 16 nice, nice. and I I definitely was going to finish high school um I feel like that's I actually is it is it common to not finish high school in Australia if you don't want to or are you like a total outlier uh I think some people do but they usually have like a trade that they go into um with me gotcha. I was just kind of just like I don't know I think intuition has been like a massive part of like my journey and like the way I live is like I thought you know what, like, I feel like this is the right thing to do. So why not? I'm just going to do it. And that's just how, what I've always mm. done. That's I like that. I like that you did that. And it ended up working out because pretty soon, is that when you got uh, got flown to New York for your big shoot? How old yeah, were you when so, that happened? Yeah, I was 16. I got signed to an agency. Oh Before gosh. I got signed to an agency, I won this big award in Australia for photography and after that, I had about four different agencies email me or call me saying they wanted to sign me and I got to choose. And then after that, yeah, Diesel flew me to New York and I shot a campaign for them, which was mental. That's unbelievable. And had you ever like flown that far before? Was that a big deal? Or were, at that point, were you just kind of like, oh, no big deal. Like, this is just who I am. I'm a 16-year-old pro photographer. <laughs> okay, so it was a massive, a massive deal. Um, because like, like, okay, I I came from like this 
quite a small town where we had no money. And then here I am flying to New York City, being picked up by a limo, going to this five-star hotel in the middle of New York to shoot. But at the same time, like I think back on this and I think, how was I not like supremely nervous? Because like it sounds crazy. Like, you know, I had like 20 people in my team, you know, my assistant had an assistant. And I think like, how was I not nervous? But I was just so confident in in myself. I had so much confidence. I just knew like, I'm going to nail this. Like I remember, uh, the first model, like the first day I was shooting and the model, like just looked at the other model and was just like, who is this kid? Like they thought it was a joke. Like (laughs) everyone was just laughing about it. And, and, and actually trying to get them to actually listen to me was kind of hard, but Um. I got there. I don't know. It was just a bit funny. I think I found it all a bit funny. Where do you think that that confidence came from? I think I've been quite confident since I was a kid in what I do. And I don't know. I think also a big part of it was when I started sharing my photos online, I got like quite, quite a following quite quickly. And people were very supportive on the internet. Even though at school I didn't have any support, uh, I could just – you know, escape onto my online world and find like a, you know, a crowd of people just saying, Hey, you're awesome. I love what you're doing. Keep doing, keep doing it. So I think that really helped me build up my confidence and had like a huge part in me being able to do the things that I did. Yeah. Let's, let's dig into that idea for a minute because I would imagine that a lot of the people listening are people who are coming over from my Snapchat. They're maybe in high school. They're where we were at when we got started with our professional photography careers. Because I did the exact same thing, and I actually didn't realize that you and I – I mean, I guess I, I see it now, but <laughs> I started a, a blog around that age. I, yeah. I My blog never got as popular as yours. Yours is nuts. Um, but I I also, like, got really focused on Twitter and got really focused on Flickr, and I was sharing my stuff online. And I lived in this small little town, and it was great. Like, it was awesome. But because it was so small, I I didn't have a lot of people who were – super similar to me you know like yeah. I had friends I loved the people I went to school with and who were in my town but um but I started really connecting with people who were doing really similar stuff all over the world so I I there's I could still name them there's like four photographers who <laughs> were like 16 or 17 who were all shooting professionally like all across the United States and we all kept in touch and we all still do keep in touch <laughs> um and and that was a huge game changer to have this support outside of my like immediate social sphere of people who like totally got me. And it sounds like that's what your story was too. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, I went from feeling totally alone in this obsession and passion to finding other people like me and feeling like, hey, this is not a weird thing. This is not a bad thing. Like other people feel like I do and – yeah, it was really, it was really, it was really nice. <laughs> yeah, and so this whole time that you were becoming a more and more impressive professional photographer, you're also developing an audience online. You're sharing stuff on your blog. Yeah, you're not just sharing your images; you're sharing your story, and that's something that, I mean, of all of the things about you, actually, I think that's maybe one of the things I admire most, or first <laughs> admired most about you, is the way that you're able to be so genuine and real and raw and authentic when you share your story with a lot of people because that's that's scary and that's that does not come naturally but you you have years and years of of practice at this and was it hard at the beginning was it ever hard is it hard now (laughs) 
I'd say it's always, <laughs> always hard, but I feel like it's kind of like a muscle that I've developed over time. I think the hard, oh, it is, I think it is very, very hard being vulnerable anyway, whether it's to one person or to a million people, you know? Yeah. So like, I think at the beginning, I think it was definitely something I built up on. In the beginning, I was, I was more vague. I was, I don't know. I, I was more like in my ego, you know, like with what I was doing, trying to present like the best parts of myself as like a lot of people do online. But then the more I sort of communicated about the harder parts of myself and the harder parts of life, the more I realized that had a more profound impact on people than the, oh, my life is so good, I'm so happy, you know, like that's the stuff that was really powerful. And I think also obviously the more I shared about the hard stuff, the more like hate I got as well. So I got people just tearing apart a lot of things about my life and starting websites and, you know, that sort of thing, which was really, really hard. But at the same time, the good stuff just outweighed it, you know? Yeah. I mean, what you got were you got stronger feelings when you shared, you shared these more raw emotions Yeah, and some of those strong feelings manifested themselves as hate, which is awful and terrible. Mm. But then I would imagine that the people who connected with you connected in such a deeper and more profound way. And that's so much more important than a million lukewarm people in your audience. You'd much rather have just a handful of people who, fully get you and in yeah. truly being impacted by what you share well I think that's the thing about like being really authentic and really yourself is that you are going to bring in the people who are really going to connect with you you know like I could be just likable and I could bring in a bunch of people who kind of like me but by being like fully myself and that's you know very a very flawed person which I am and everyone is I bring in people who are just yeah I don't know just connect with me so much deeper and it's so much more fulfilling mm. You mentioned about sharing like the beautiful moments of your life. Yeah. Um, and so I want to talk for a minute about your amazing daughter, Alba. She, <laughs> I just got to catch a little glimpse of her on FaceTime. And then the other day you posted this beautiful, oh my gosh, I got goosebumps watching a beautiful no. video of little moments with her over the last few months. Um, tell me about uh, about your pregnancy with her and and having her and, and all the joy that that brought. Mm, okay, so I actually had Alba when I was 19, which seems really young. And people always say like, oh, why didn't you wait? But for me, like that was waiting a longer time because since I was maybe like, since I even started photography, I've wanted to be a mother. So having her was, yeah, it was it was just like a, a bit of a fairy tale in a way. What was the pregnancy like? I know that you've talked a lot about how much you enjoyed that experience. Uh, when I was pregnant, um, we were living in this, like me and her father were living in this beautiful little cabin in the Blue Mountains. So it was very idyllic. And I was also traveling. So I was doing a campaign for Billabong across Europe at the time. And then I was shooting for Sony in New Zealand and traveling. So yeah, it was, it was, it was like a lot of travel when I was pregnant, which was kind of fun. And luckily I I didn't have like really any, uh, you know, bad symptoms. So it was just kind of like a big adventure until I got home and gave birth to her in our home in the mountains. And yeah, it's a bit bit, bit of a hazy, bit of a hazy memory now. I feel like there's probably a lot more like harder moments like vomiting or like sickness and stuff that I just can't (laughs) remember because like just time does that for me. Like I tend to, I tend to really remember and romanticize the past. And, And that's something good to remember too, because I, um, I, I constantly think back to like my partner now. I think, oh, man, I miss when we first got together. Everything was like fireworks and beautiful. And then I think, hold on a minute. In like 
in like a couple of years time, I'm going to be thinking of like right now and thinking like how beautiful this is. That's why I need to be right here enjoying this. Yeah, you know? yeah that's true. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. And yeah. so you, you had Alba and it seems like she's just full of like joy and personality. Do you feel like that's true? Like as she's gotten older, <laughs> have you gotten to know her personality more and more? Yeah, definitely. She's, she is full of joy and she's, she's just full of everything like including all the hard stuff like full of anger and wildness and frustration and creativity and excitement like everything is just full blast oh yeah which is like which is like what it is with me but she's four so she's like she's like still figuring out like how do I process these emotions and it's it's just a roller coaster okay and so you had Alba when you were 19 um and how old is she again now she's four She's four. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. <laughs> what 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 are some of the amazing highlights of the last four years? Jeez, that is a, that's a big question. I know. I'm so sorry. Ooh. There's sometimes it's, it's really quite unexpected things. It's not like what you would imagine, like maybe her first steps or the yeah. first time she says "I love you" or says "Mama" or you know, it's it's really little moments. Like the other night when she woke up in the middle of the night and. I stirred and woke up as well and she just looked over to me and I had a little, there's like a little candle next to our bed and I could see her little eyes looking at me wide open and she was just like, I love you, mama, just like that in the middle of the night. Uh-huh. Like what, what made her woke, wake up and just look at me and say that? Like, I don't know, it was really beautiful. Like she's very like spontaneously loving and affectionate. But oh, I liked the last four years. I mean, we've we've done a lot of traveling together and – I remember one day she came home from being with her papa and she um, just tied up a bow in her shoe. She was maybe two. And I remember just being so shocked by that. Like, how can a two-year-old tie a bow? Oh, Oh, I remember. I remember. I remember a really special moment when she was, I think she was one and, um, I was, I was, um, cracking eggs to make something and she like, you know, wanted to crack the eggs as well. And I thought, okay, this is going to be really messy, but like, you know, like I'll let you do it. She cracked three eggs in a row perfectly with no shell. No and I way. remember just like <laughs> crying because it seems oh. so crazy. I don't know. It's just, yeah. And also at the moment she keeps singing these beautiful songs. She just makes them up on the spot and they're so hilarious. Like we, yeah, we, we, we drive in the car and she just sits in the back seat just singing and we just listen and try not to crack up because we don't want to interrupt her and make her stop. So we just listen to her songs and they're so, they're so great. That's so amazing. Mm. That, that's beautiful. So this whole experience you've, you know, of having a child and, and raising her and, and making a move across, um, across Australia and continuing to do this traveling and shooting photos mm. and living this interesting life. You've been sharing all of this. Um, and in a lot of ways, you're a blogger, you're a mother, yeah. you're a photographer, yeah. you're a writer. Um, how would you describe your your core identity to yourself? Like how, what would you say is the, is the truest thing about you and the thing that almost is like, this is who I am. Like, yeah. What is, what is that for you? I really like this question. Cause when I started photography, my identity was photographer. It was just so firmly photographer. Like that's just who I was. And then as I grew up and especially after I had Alba and then it was obviously mother for a while as well. Uh, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> identity is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about I don't know I think yes well I think my identity is probably very similar to yours and I would say storyteller 
Definitely. Mm. It's definitely photography. I mean, it is a part of storytelling, but now it's so much more than that. And it's, it's, it's even more than the writing. It's more than the photography. It's about the connection to other people. It's about being able to impact on other people in a positive way. And I think storyteller kind of encompasses that. Isn't it interesting how like, cause I did the exact same thing. I started off being like, I am this thing. Not even that. I was like, I <laughs> shoot these particular kind of photos. And as yeah. I've grown, and, and good marketing would always say like, oh, you got to be really specific. Like Coca-Cola's thing is just like, we are a company that sells you sugar water and we mm. associate ourselves with happiness and they'll never change that. And mm. so like, and I went to school for marketing and advertising and like traditional school would say, okay, you just got to find your niche and do that thing. But I know for me, like, I can't, I can't do that at all. I've, my passions yeah. have changed so much and and now, you know, sure, I'm a photographer still, but, you know, I, of course, I've got that phrase, I'm a storyteller. And specifically, it's like, what kind of stories do I want to tell? I want to tell stories of the good in the world. And I want to tell stories yeah. of the beauty in the, in the heartbreak. And it's become more wide and narrow and it's, it's evolving and changing. And it's actually really encouraging to hear that that's been true for you too, because I think you're doing it marvelously. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think um, not putting yourself into a box or following too many rules. I just kind of, I don't know, I am. And especially like right now, I'm I'm, I'm experimenting with so many different things. Like I'm really into cooking. Like I'm writing this little cookbook Aww. and I'm into making music. I started recording my songs and, you know, like directing as well. Like I, I'm, I'm into so many different things now that it's hard to like really label myself as anything. But that's fun. I like that. But but I will admit that it was much easier when I was just a photographer to get a lot done, you know? Yeah, that's the thing where it's it's some give and take. It's a trade between like passion and efficiency in some ways. Like I could be a really efficient wedding photographer. Like I, if I if that's all that I did, if all yeah, I did was exactly. some specific yep. thing, I feel like yes. I could just own it. Totally. But it's... <laughs> I, I, I don't have the passion for that in the way that I yeah. probably did at one point. And I think that's okay. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I just wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of Sounds Good, Schmidt's Naturals. Now, Schmidt's Naturals is on a mission to change the way you think about natural. They make deodorant, toothpaste, and soap, and their newest deodorant stick is amazing. Let me tell you about it. So Schmidt's partnered with the Jane Goodall Institute to create Lily of the Valley, a special edition deodorant inspired by one of Dr. Jane Goodall's favorite floral aromas. Jane Goodall came to my hometown when I was in the seventh grade and I have loved her ever since she spoke. She was just delightful. And so the amazing thing is that 5% of every Lily of the Valley purchase will benefit the Jane Goodall Institute's efforts to protect animals and conserve the environment. And oh my gosh, it actually smells so good. Jane apparently has amazing taste. And so here's what's cool. For listeners of Sounds Good, Schmitz is offering free shipping when you use the code GOOD at SchmitzNaturals.com. Just go to SchmitzNaturals.com today and use our special code GOOD to get free shipping and help support this podcast. Schmitz Naturals, smell good, do good. Okay, now back to the rest of our conversation. 
I want to transition to something that's a, a little bit harder. Um, I was out in Australia just, you know, a few months ago and we were, we were going to try to get together and, and hang out and maybe mm. record this in person. And about a week before I left the States, your brother passed away. And do you mind if we talk a little bit about Zake? No, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Before we before we get into it, can you just tell me a little bit about your brother? Um, Zake was my favorite person in the world other than Alba. Since he was born, it was like it was like us against the world because we went we went through all the same stuff together, shared all the same scars. Except I think like what we went through had a different effect on him and he ended up retreating into himself more and I think it was really hard for my mom to deal with. Like he would if he, you know, had a meltdown, he would, like, attack us or start destroying the house. You know, he would switch so quickly. He had Asperger's as well. And my mum found it really quite hard to deal with him when he would flip out. And one day this man came into, into our lives and said that he would take Zake away to Germany and try and find someone who would help him with his issues. And that man ended up sexually abusing my brother as well and... When he came back to live with us again, he was he was even worse than ever before and sort oh, of wow. just ended up spending, yeah, every single day in front of his computer, never leaving the house. He was like a ghost. And I remember just sitting next to him for hours every day and just watching him play. And we didn't need to talk or anything. We just connected by just being next to each other. And it's quite quite heartbreaking. And then I ended up leaving home. And I remember the first time my mum called me that, he had attempted to kill himself was when I was in LA. I was staying with my friend Zelda and her house and I remember my mum calling me and it was just so out of the blue like to get a to get a call from her while I was overseas and she told me on the phone I just remember breaking down and sobbing and spending the whole day just crying and but so glad he was still okay and I ended up going back to Australia and taking Alba with me and seeing him and just like telling him how much I loved him and hugging him, like knowing that I could lose him, you know, like it was, it's kind of like, you don't think you can lose the people you love. Like, even though like that's a concept that makes sense, but in your head, it just doesn't seem like that's possible. Anyway, that was the time that Zeke said that Alba kind of saved him. Wow. He really, yeah, they really connected and she was really special to him. So, after the first suicide attempt, Zeke, while he was in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, he thought, you know what, life is like a game and I can choose how I want to play it. So after that, he turned his whole life around and he got a job and made wow. friends and got a girlfriend. And suddenly when I visited him, he was talking to me and we realized like how much we were actually the same, like in so many mm. ways, I can't even list. And all of a sudden I had this brother that I'd always longed for. And it was just like the most beautiful thing. I can't explain like how happy it made me to see him. And we were just, yeah, we were so close. Like we'd Skype all the time. We were away from each other and call each other all the time. And he was the person that I felt that made me feel like I wasn't alone in the world because I, f I do feel like I'm quite a, a weird person, I have like a lot of different quirks and I don't know a lot of people with those quirks, but he had all of those quirks. He was, he was just like me. And so after I moved into this new house, after we moved across the country, 
it was just two weeks being here and I remember at that time Sake was always trying to call me on my phone and I remember thinking every time he called like oh I just can't talk to him right now I'm too busy I just can't talk to him and it was a few weeks of him calling and then every time I'd try and call him he'd miss my call and it was like very back and forth and then my brother texted me and said near me I need to talk to you answer your phone and I was like okay 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 I'll answer my phone I talked to him and and Zake said, hey, Naomi, um, I've got this thing I really need to tell you, but I don't know how to tell you. And I was like, what is it? You know, are you in love with a man? Like I was going through all these different things that it could possibly <laughs> be. And we we're laughing about it. And then finally he said, um, oh, actually, don't like freak out, but I'm feeling suicidal. And I remember my heart just instantly sinking and just instantly feeling sick and being like, just trying to talk, talk him out of it just just in any way I could just saying like, no, no, you're not really like, you know, kind of being a bit in denial because all those feelings rushed back of, of what it felt like that first time my mom called me and said yeah. that, yeah. And, um, whew, my brother told me on that phone call, like how much I meant to him and stuff. But he also said at the same time that he wasn't feeling sad and that like, it didn't seem, it didn't seem immediate or maybe perhaps I was in denial and didn't want to think it was immediate. And then, the next day I remember spending the whole day out and then it got to nighttime and I thought, oh, I should call Zake. And then I realized how late it was and I said, okay, in the morning I'm going to call Zake. And the next morning was the morning that my mum called me. And I remember, it's, I remember it really clearly because my mum doesn't call me very much. I usually call her and I picked up my phone and I just saw her name on it and instantly, oh, it's like I just knew straight away. And when mm. I answered her, her call, she was just sobbing and I just held the phone away from me like as far as I could and I was yelling at her, you know, don't tell me, don't tell me, I don't want to know, you know. Like I knew that if I let her talk to me, then she might say what I was scared she would say. And you wanted a few more moments. Yeah, I needed, I needed, I needed more time in a world where I thought, <laughs> in a world where he was still alive. And the, the only reason I put that phone back to my ear is I thought, She's going to tell me he's attempted, but he's back in the hospital and he's okay. Mm. But then when, yeah, but then when I pulled the phone to my ear, she said, Zake has hung himself. And then like, it was just like my world just fell away. And it was like the most unbearable feeling that I've ever felt in my life. It is like nothing else. It is like so unbearable, like in the most literal sense of unbearable, like, there was like no way out of that feeling. Mm. Oh God, like I'm shaking just thinking, yeah, I'm just so talking sorry, about it. Me. I'm no, so it's okay, sorry. it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's just yeah. yeah. How how long has it been now? Mm. I think it's been about three months. Two wow. and a half months maybe. I don't know. I was keeping track for a while, but <laughs> what was the first the first week like? <sighs> well, a couple of days after I heard the news, I actually flew to Townsville where my family lived, where my brother lived to go for his funeral. And, oh man, like even arriving at the airport, I could remember so clearly, like I could close my eyes and see my brother running up to me to hug me because he's mm. come so many times to that airport to get me. And then I went to our house and sat in his room and, you know, all of his clothes were around me, all of his stuff. I could have, I just had so many flashbacks and, I remember my mom just coming in and saying, hey, you can grab whatever you like. And it just being so weird. Like, how weird is that? <laughs> mm. 
And I grabbed um, a T-shirt that he always used to wear when he was a kid mm. that he still wore now because he was just like that. It was just the most like he just <laughs> would – he would just dress like in the kind of things that nobody else would wear. He's just That's very amazing. like – very much like not caring what anybody else thought of him. And so I That's remember just sweet. grabbing that shirt and I remember smelling it and it smelled so much like him. I just laid down on the bed and smelt it. And my mum brought in an iPad and it had videos of – it had his last videos, his suicide videos on there, oh. like sort of his goodbye videos. And in it, he just said, like, how much he loved me, how I, I was the person he looked up to most in the world. And it was kind of like both really beautiful and really hard to hear that. Yeah. I don't know. Almost like it would have been easier if I meant less to him or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's also got to feel special to know that, like, yeah, he was in a really difficult mental space and it, it had nothing to do with you and like yeah yeah you are not at fault at all and mm, I mean it's so easy to go back and think like oh if only I'd called him the day after like how could I know it seems so obvious now but there's you no know, way like, you could have known yeah there's no way like yeah so it was a really tough week but I was surrounded by my family and there was some kind of beauty in that there's some kind of beauty in our whole family being together and and just knowing how how much sake was loved we had his funeral down at down at the park where he hung himself, actually, which seems like a little bit crazy, but we had his funeral there and the park was full of full of people he'd affected. And this was so big because it was only like a couple of years that he had outside of his little bubble of like wow. when he made the switch. So he had affected that many people. I remember walking down the street with him in our hometown and just so many strangers coming up to him, hugging him, like their eyes lighting up when they saw him. Because he was the kind of person who would talk to anybody. It didn't matter who they were. Like, he would just connect with everybody. And he was just, yeah, he was just had no judgment and was just so loving towards everybody. And, yeah, he just had a big, obviously had a big impact on everyone, including me. That's beautiful. Mm. Um, And I think something really, really powerful that I've loved seeing and I, like, I didn't expect you to do anything like this at all. Like, I think it would have been fully normal for you to grieve or for (laughs) even for me to not see anything from you on the internet. Um, But you decided to, to take this pain, to take this heartbreak and, and create some art out of it and create some beauty out of it. Can you tell me about your, your recent project? This is, this is one of the (laughs) most beautiful things I've ever seen. Okay. So the day that, I found out Zake had gone a few hours after just crying and pacing. I went to my computer and I tried to find a photo of us together. I don't know why I just became obsessed with this idea that like, God, there must be this beautiful photo of us that I can just look at, you know? And I went through three external hard drives before I realized I don't have any beautiful photos of us together. And it just kind of like really broke my heart. I mean, I had iPhone selfies and stuff, but I really, what I really wanted was just like one beautiful photo. And so after that, I thought how many people out there don't have beautiful photos of people who they love, who they might not, you know, get a chance to get another photo with them. So I decided to put a shout out online and ask for anyone who, who needed photos for someone who they loved. And I ended up getting hundreds of emails and, stories that were so long like it took me days to read everybody's stories before I could even choose and the stories even like before I met anybody before I shot anyone the stories like themselves were quite healing for me because I realized how many people have stories how many people have tragedies and losses and how much love there is in the world as well and 
yeah, that was really powerful for me. What were, uh, what were a few of your favorite stories that have come from this? Um, I think the last shoot I did, I don't know if it's just because it was the last shoot, it seemed really potent, but it was this mother and she had three little boys with her and the youngest little boy was actually not hers by blood. He was the son of her best friend who had committed suicide and she'd taken on her son as her own. And just seeing like the connection between her and the three boys was really beautiful. That's powerful. Yeah. Another was um, a father who had cancer who had only maybe six months left to live. And just like seeing the way his kids looked at him was really, I don't know, it was really quite heartbreaking and beautiful to me. I don't know. There was like, there was so many, there was just so many, so many stories and so many people. And it was just every day, every day I was shooting two to three times a day. I'd originally said I was only going to do 10 shoots, but I, I couldn't choose just 10. I ended up choosing almost 20 in the end. Oh, wow. And it was just like a whirlwind of just beautiful people. And, 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 and people like who was so grateful as well. And, but at the same time, I felt like, but this is like the least I can do, you know, like this is, this is nothing compared to how much I want to give after losing yeah. sake. Like I just want, yeah, I don't know. It just felt like in his absence, he left so much love or something in my heart, you know, like, and it, maybe yeah. that sounds a bit cliche, but I just, I want to give so much more now that he's gone. Yeah. Do you feel like it was healing for you to do that as well? Yeah, definitely. It kind of also puts stuff in perspective because so I've lost my brother and he is so important to me and that is a big thing. But, you know, people have lost their children and people have lost their whole families or, you know, like there's there's always someone in a worse situation and there's always something beautiful out of any bad situation as well. The people who came were just so full of hope and that, yeah, it was just, I was really moved by it. Is there something really significant that your brother taught you um, that that you're going to hold on to, that you're going to remember for a long time? Mm. My brother was really like passionate about being a really good person. Like that was kind of his, his, his biggest passion and goal in life, which I think is really beautiful. And he was constantly sharing with me the ways that he was growing. And probably the biggest thing that my brother sort of left me with is, is, is authenticity, is being yourself even when people don't like that. And that is obviously a big part of like who I am online and why what I do is so powerful. But I think I can definitely thank him a lot for, for making me unafraid to be myself. Another thing about when I found those photos is that I kind of realized that the reason I didn't have many photos with my brother is because I perhaps like I'd thought of wanting one, but I thought, oh, my hair sucks today or, oh, I really don't want a photo. I don't look good. Something really silly like that, really inconsequential. And yeah, I think Zake was never like that. Like he would be in a photo at any moment. He would do anything at any moment. He was just constantly open for whatever life threw at him. And now after he's left, I know I'm, I'm, I'm saying yes to more things. Like even, I don't know if I would have said yes to doing this podcast if it wasn't for Zake, because I was, I would have cared too much about, I would sound so awkward. Oh God, I know I'm not good at talking. Like I'm better at writing, you know, like if it wasn't for him, now I'm just saying yes to so many more things I would have been scared to say yes to before because I realized like, it isn't about like maybe me being awkward on here. It's more about what I have to say and the message I have to say. And it's more about just doing as much good as I can in the world. So I think that's really what what he left me with. That's incredible. 
you doing this doesn't really surprise me at all. You know, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've only known you for so long, but I, when we met, like you shared your life story and, and you've experienced so much pain in your life, but you've always been such a light through all of that. Where, where do you think that comes from? Maybe out of a necessity, you know, like if I'd chosen any other path, early on then I'd probably be a lot more messed up than I am probably be a lot more unhappy I've I feel like I've had like a lot of unfortunate things cross my path since I was younger and I've just continued to make the decision to get something good out of it all even like no matter what happens to me I'm always looking for the silver lining in it yeah even when Zake died like I remember just it wasn't even that long before I was starting to think okay what good is in here you know like what is good about this and I suppose that's sort of where that idea was born from too with the gift sessions yeah is I just thought what good can I get out of this bad situation just helps yeah. me deal with deal with life I think yeah I mean and you ended up you ended up alleviating pain in other people's lives because mm. other people are going to have those photos and I, I think it's just been beautiful seeing the way that you've been sharing the story online and seeing people responding and and I've been really touched by the way that you've been sharing these little moments these little highlights of of memories you've had and I think you really are good at that and and <laughs> it may not be easy for you to see because you're in the middle of it but like not a lot of people actually have that ability to look for the light when they're in these dark places like I think that it's I think anybody can do it but it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of intentionality and so I'm I'm really impressed mm. and inspired by your ability to do that because you've really shined brightly through this whole process. Yeah, that's really sweet. I think the same of you. Thank you. Um, something I remember that you and I had talked about was this idea of um, of how everybody has an amazing story and everybody's mm. living a story. And, yeah. and your story has been one of ups and downs and other people have stories that look different, but everybody has a powerful story. Um, yeah. But what would you say to somebody who doesn't believe that they have a good story? Because that's that's what your life is, is you're you're telling your story and you're inviting and you're telling other people's stories. Um, but what would you say to somebody caught up in this idea that they don't have one? I would say just open open your eyes, really. Like, I mean, there's so many things, just little tiny things throughout the day that that are, are stories in themselves, you know, like. Um, everything, everything is also so relative. Like while like I might focus on my story as being like the really hard things that have happened or the really amazing things like flying to New York city or losing my brother to suicide. Um, there's so many of the little stories, which might be just, you know, the, the sound of my daughter's voice when she sings or, you know, the way that B will bring, my partner will bring me tea without asking throughout the day or, you know, like, um, the weather, like the world, like the patterns in, in seashells or, you know, the sound of the rain, just, you know, like there's, there's just stories, I think in just being alive, like all you need to do is show up to life. And then all these stories are unfolding around you and yeah, like other things, like, I mean, have you ever, have you, has, has someone ever been in love? Like that's a story in itself. Like whether that love is with their parent or with their child or with someone else or, you know, heartbreak or sadness or loss or excitement or passion. Like I think there's just, yeah, I think it would, it's impossible to not have an interesting story or to have, not have stories unfolding constantly around you. 
you just have to sort of open your eyes to them and you just have yeah. to open your eyes that's beautiful on that note i want to transition to this time where i ask these questions that um i love to ask everybody who's on the show and the first one is how would you describe the kind of people that you most admire in the world mm. i'd say excited excited by life excited mm. by what they love not taking life too seriously, like being silly and just ready for adventures and being able to see the light side of things. And also very honest. I like people who are not afraid to be who they are. And I think like while I say these, I'm definitely describing my brother (laughs) and also maybe a little bit myself, but I suppose that's the kind of people that I love, especially excitement. I think excitement is so important. I don't know. I I just keep coming back to this thought lately about excitement. I think that's a really beautiful way to approach grief is choosing to focus on celebration, you mm. know? And I think, I, I don't know. I think, I think that's something you're doing well is you're, you're living life with excitement even in the midst of all this. And it's almost out of respect to your brother that you're doing that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, I just like, I like to focus on, not what's gone, but what's, I suppose, what's come of him leading. And I know that's what he would have wanted as well. And you're doing that in a really real way, which is what's great. Like you're not ignoring the pain. You're, Mm. you know, you talked about this off mic, but you were like, you know, this is good for me to talk about this. Um, And you're, you're choosing to face all of this head on. You're not hiding in optimism because that's, 0% 0% good but you're choosing yeah. to find the beauty in the brokenness and I think that's something incredible mm. and another beautiful thing I think is that this happened to me is I have this voice online where I can talk about these things in a very open way so I'm giving a voice to people who have also lost people to suicide and I've had e- people email me and say thank you so much for sharing how deeply this affected you I've been suicidal and this has made me rethink whether I want to commit suicide because now I know how much of an impact it'll have on the people who love me. Wow. And it's probably helping other people realize that they're not alone out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, so much more powerful than it, than it seems. Like, this stuff seems so simple. Like, with my blog and talking about even just, like, little things like, hey, it's hard to raise a toddler. You know, this stuff that seems so, I don't know, easy and little, but actually it's so big in the grand scheme just of, being honest and making people not feel alone. On that note, you know, that's that's what you're creating right now. What are you consuming right now? Is there anything, especially in this time that you're in, that you're either reading or listening to or watching that's, um, that's really helpful to you right now, that's offering you hope and encouragement? Hmm. I feel like I'm kind of in this weird like hibernation stage right now where I'm not actively throwing myself into like one project where I'm kind of, I've got Alba full time. So I'm quite like, my days are quite full. So I am like, yeah, consuming a lot of stuff that's going to kind of inspiring me in getting me ready for like doing lots of big things. I think one book that's been really special to me has been Big Magic. Have you heard of it? Oh my by goodness, Elizabeth by Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. I, yeah. I went to her book signing in Nashville and she <sighs> read from it and she answered questions and it was maybe one of the most beautiful nights of my life. Like it was, it was incredible. I love that book. I love that book so much. And, 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 um, a soundtrack, like music wise, I love, I love listening to music. It's 
really inspiring for me. But um, my one of my best friends is a singer in First Aid Kit, and yeah. they've been recording their newest record. And she sent me some demos, and I've been nonstop listening to them. So that's been that's just awesome. That's because so I, good. I, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was they were my favorite band, and I didn't know that. Clara knew me and then she out of the blue emailed me and said she'd been following my blog for five years and now we're like we talk every day so it's pretty and I went oh. on a road trip with her across America and toured with them so I love it's I pretty, you pretty you special about that. that's really yeah. special what's the yeah. support been like from your friends around the world because I know that you just have friends in all kinds of random places like <laughs> randomly through our conversations you were like you would just like briefly mentioned somebody and I'd be like is that who I think that is like <laughs> they were all people I'd heard of and you know yeah what's, yeah what's that been like people being all over the world but I'm sure loving you all the same yeah it's kind of it's kind of hard like I, I I find myself being a little like envious of people who have friend groups who are all in the mm-hmm. same town like I kind of don't understand that like how does that really like does that work but um I kind of think it's really special too because I travel and Every time I go to a new city, I'm bound to have like one of my best friends there. So it's pretty cool That's to rock great. up and see them. And and my friends are all the kind of people who understand that like maybe I won't talk to them for months and that's okay. And we'll still, yeah. the next time we see each other, we'll still be like, we'll be just like we were the last time we saw each other. So that's I think so that's the life sweet. of a traveler. I'm sure it's yep. the same for you. Yeah, no, it's the same. Yeah. And it's been nice though, settling into Nashville and um, yeah, it's it's a city full of travelers because everybody is a musician and everybody goes on tour. But then it's nice. So it's nice when because everybody at home understands like, oh, you're going to be gone for a few months, but then you'll be back. Yeah. And yeah. So it's been really beautiful to find a community of people who. Yes. We can all be in the same place. And I, I hope that you're able to find that in your new city sometime soon as well. I put on, I always do these things called plant love picnics where I get everyone together to um, like, just like I'll put it on Facebook or on Instagram and a bunch of people will get together and bring vegetarian food and just Mm. get to meet each other. I think community is so important. Like those picnics are some of the highlights of my life, just getting together with all these people and talking for hours until the sun sets and eating good food. And it's cool too, because beyond me, like all these other people get to meet each other and yeah, I don't know. I love that sort of stuff. I love community Man. stuff. I think it's so, so important. I think that's so special. I want to end on this question. Based on the ways that you've chosen to step out and live differently over the course of your life, what's one thing you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life? So, I don't know, offer one piece of advice to to somebody out there uh, who's in need of some some words of wisdom from near me. Hmm. Okay, so first, like, a little bit of life advice, and this is, like, sort of about my brother's suicide, is to tell whoever you love that you love them. Like, I think that is so important. On my last phone call with my brother, it was just so, like, I don't know, like, so intense. I forgot to – I didn't say I love you at the end, and now I regret that. And he knew I loved him, so it's not about that. But I think just expressing your love and and knowing – I mean, every time you see someone, you kind of assume like you're going to keep seeing them, that you're going to have so many more times to see them in the future. Or even like maybe you look at a tree and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a tree. I've seen a tree before. I'm going to see lots of new trees. Hmm. But every time you experience something, I think trying to experience it as though you're experiencing it for the last time because in reality, that could be your last time and just embracing every moment and and just spreading, spreading love and being like authentic with how much you love 
not holding that back because that's boring. Like if you really love somebody or something, I think you should just totally embrace that. It's way more fun. Um, and creatively, I'd say not to take it too seriously, whatever you're doing. Like definitely have fun with it. It should feel fun. It should feel good. And doing it every day, like even if that's really little, like even if that means daydreaming about it for half an hour or just like drawing some scribbles in your journal about whatever it is you're passionate about or just talking to someone about it, just doing something every single day towards what you're passionate about. That's absolutely beautiful. Experience things like you're experiencing them for the last time. Tell people that you love them. And then mm. on the creative side, don't take things too seriously. Oh, and one more, one more. Yes, yes. Don't, don't, don't be afraid to fail. Like realize that failure is actually more powerful for you than success. I think a lot of people are scared to fail, but failing is actually awesome. And people don't care as much as you think they do about things. That's great. <laughs> about you failing, about you making mistakes. Yeah, because everybody else is paying attention to not making their own mistakes. So they're not paying enough attention mm. to, to your mistakes. Totally, totally. Yes. <laughs> That's why it doesn't matter if that I do this podcast and sound a bit silly because it's not what it's about. And it's more endearing, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, oh my gosh. If you go back and listen to my first episode, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that is, it. That, that is the definition of endearing. He's trying that so awesome, hard. That is awesome though. That is awesome that you're human and that I'm human and that we're all human. It's way better if we're all perfect. It would be so utterly yeah. dreadful. It would be so dreadful. <laughs> If you aren't already following near me online, you should absolutely follow her on Instagram at at fire and joy. You can also read her blog at nearme.com. If you're new to sounds good, we would love for you to stick around. If you enjoyed this episode in particular, I think you'd also love my conversation with Brooke Shaden. She's a mutual friend of near me and eyes, and she has a great approach to art. And another person that I actually met in Australia on this trip is an artist named Timba Smits, and he shares a powerful story uh, that I won't spoil. You just got to listen to the episode. So you can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, is a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit and makes the show. You can get lots of hopeful stories by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. And every single week, we also send out a free email newsletter called The Good Newsletter. Inside, you'll find five good news stories from the past week, and we found that it's the perfect antidote to cynicism and apathy. You can subscribe for free at goodnewsletter.org. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good?